Would you take your Bibles with you, with you, me this morning, and turn to the very last book, the very last chapter, and the next to the last verse? How easy is that? Revelation chapter twenty-two, verse twenty. And in just a moment, uh, we're going to look at the very last thing that Jesus had to say to us before that closing verse and that last punctuation mark and the maps were put into your Bible. Revelation 22, verse 20. If you're like me, you woke up on Saturday week ago shocked to hear the reports out of Israel of the attacks that took place there in the kibbutz and all those areas near the Gaza. By last count, 1,300 Israelis died in the terrorist attacks and Somewhere around 150 children, women, and men have been taken hostage. Over the last week or two, as we've looked at and watched what has happened, a lot of folks have asked me, Pastor, what's going on here? What, what does this mean? How does this coincide with what the Bible teaches about the end time, the return of Christ, and those sorts of things? What I would say to you this morning is that I'm always very cautious to get too specific. Where the Bible speaks, I want to speak, and where the Bible doesn't speak, I want to keep my mouth shut. And I've got family and friends over the years who would get very, very specific, and they would say something based off of half a verse in Jeremiah or something like that, and 30 years later that sound hokey, and I don't want to sound hokey. What I will say to you this morning is that I believe that what Genesis 12 and Numbers 24 says is absolutely true. God blesses those who bless Israel. God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And my pastor, Adrian Rogers, he put it this way. He said, Israel is not simply a reservoir into which God pours his blessings. Israel is his pipeline through which God dispersed his blessings. As you look in what's going on in the world today and as you read your Bible one of the things that I would say to you is that you need to keep your eye on Israel matter of fact my pastor again Dr. Rogers put it this way he said if you want to know what God is doing in the world today just put your eyes on Israel the Jew is God's yardstick God's blueprint God's program God's prophecy of what he is doing in the world and with that kind of as an introduction, I want you to look there in Revelation 22, verse 20. And I want you to notice what Jesus had to say. These are the last words of Jesus to us. And Jesus says down there, He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus, says, Surely I am coming quickly. And with that, all of us would say, with the Apostle John, a hearty amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. Jesus said he's coming quickly. And so again, this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you this morning and again next Sunday morning in broad overarching terms about the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is what is known as the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of last things, the study of last things. And we're going to be looking at today and next Sunday what the Bible says is going to happen in this world, on this world, and to this world when Jesus Christ comes again. And how that ought to affect how every single one of us lives and operates in the world today. Now, here a couple of months ago, uh, I was driving in the hinterlands of Georgia. That's what I call the places where you can't get cell phone service. And I was out in the hinterlands of Georgia, and I saw a sign on the side of the road. It's a, it a homemade sign. You could tell that. 
up, nailed to a tree. It had been painted white, had great big bold red letters on it. And, and the sign said this, Jesus is coming again. And I went, amen. That's right, amen. And so I drove down the road a little bit, a little bit further and I saw another sign coming into view and, and the sign said this, Jesus is coming again soon. And I thought, well, that, that's true. He, he's coming again and it, it's gonna be soon. And I drove down the road a little bit further and I, I saw another again, white sign painted, nailed to a tree on the side of the road. And the word, this could, you, could tell, you could tell this time it had two, had two lines. And it said, Jesus is coming again soon. Are you ready? And I kind of thought to myself, well, am I ready? Yeah, I think I'm ready. And I know I'm, I'm living right. Okay, yeah, I'm ready. And so by this time, it's kind of got on my radar, and I'm looking for the next one, right? And so I'm looking and looking, had to drive a little bit further, and, and I looked down the road, and sure enough, you could tell there's another sign nailed to a, a tree on the side of the road. And, uh, and so I'm getting my mind, what, what's it going to say? It's already said, Jesus is coming again, Jesus is coming soon. Are, are you ready? And so I'm, I'm wondering what it's going to say this time. Is it going to say, are you ready? If so, pull over on the side of the road, unbuckle your seatbelt, get ready for the rapture, something like that. That's what, that's what I thought uh, that, that was going to be on the sign. And so I could, I'm getting closer, and I'm, I'm looking to see white sign, red letters, side of the road, and I'm squinting to see uh, what, what does the sign say. And then it came into view, and here's what it said. Georgia peaches 500 feet on right. <laughs> Somebody's trying to get my attention, right? Well, I think as we come to Revelation and even in what's going on in the world today, I think that Jesus is doing the same thing today. I believe that Jesus is telling us in the simplest, plainest, clearest way that he possibly can that he is coming again, he's coming soon, and we'd better get ready. Amen. You say, Pastor, look, I, I have heard this all my life. I, mean, I heard these kind of sermons when I was in, in children's church. I heard these kind of sermons when I was in the youth group. I have heard these sermons all my life, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. Look right here. That doesn't mean that he's not going to come back. It just means that you're that much closer to, to his return than you were the very first time you heard the message. How many of y'all understand what I just said, right? You say, oh, Pastor, what makes you so sure? Why do you think that Jesus is going to come again? Well, just several reasons, three to be exact this morning, if you want to take notes. For one thing, Jesus promised it, and I believe Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't just promise it one time. He promised it over and over and over again. He promised it over and over again. You're there in Revelation 22, looking in verse 7. In verse 7, the Bible says there, Behold, I am coming quickly. Drop down to verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. And then, of course, the verse that we just read for this morning, surely I am coming quickly. So I was always taught that if the Bible says it one time, it's enough. If it says it twice, it's more than enough. And it says it three times, and making a point. And so three times in just a matter of a few verses, Jesus Christ says, mark it down, take it to the bank, bet on it if you're not a Baptist, I am coming quickly. As a matter of fact, not only did Jesus promise it, I believe that he's going to come back soon because the Bible prophesies it. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Acts 1, verse 11, where the Bible says there, New King James, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Did you know that more than 500 times in the pages of your Bible, the Bible talks about, tells us about the second coming of Jesus Christ? What that means is, is that one out of every 25 verses in your Bible have to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
What that means is, of course, is that the Bible talks about more about the second coming than it does about the new birth, baptism, the church, spiritual gifts, the devil, or the fact that Jesus even came the first time. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again and coming soon because Jesus promised it, the Bible prophesies it, and then three, the signs predict it. Now again, I could go through and just we could make our way through Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and we could spend this Sunday and next Sunday and, and the next five or ten Sundays looking and learning what the Bible says specifically about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But for the sake of time and just to make it simple, let me just deal with what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that just before he comes again, there are going to be many who will come claiming to be him. When I was in Israel uh, back in the spring, uh, they've got another Messiah that's supposed to be coming. His picture's all over the place. You see pictures of him in New York City. And Jesus said, hey, before I come back again, there are going to be many who are going to come, and they're going to claim to be me. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars. That's what Jesus said. Nation is going to rise up against nation. There will be famines and pestilences that's diseases and earthquakes in various places and he says that when you see these things don't be deceived these are the beginning of sorrows now make sure you don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying he's not saying that we haven't had bad wars before we have he's not saying that we haven't had famines and pestilences and earthquakes before we have he's just saying that as we get closer and closer to the second coming all of these things are going to increase in frequency and in intensity. There will be more wars and bloodier wars than we've ever had before. There will be more famines and greater famines than we've ever had before. There will be more diseases and deadlier diseases than we've ever had before. There will be more earthquakes and stronger earthquakes all over the globe than we've ever had before. Matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, we got another report just overnight or yesterday of another earthquake, and they're happening in places that have never happened before. And Jesus said, all of these things are going to point to the fact that I could come back at any moment. Jesus is coming again. More sure than 2 plus 2 equals 4, more sure than yellow and blue make green, Jesus is coming again. And the Bible says that when he does, he will come visibly, he will come vengefully, and he will come victoriously. Jesus is coming again. So here's the question for us this morning and next Sunday morning as well. What will happen when Jesus Christ comes again? What's going to take place? If today we were to hear the trumpet sound and the voice of the archangel were to cry out, Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Go out to meet him. What's going to happen? Here's the very first thing that I believe is going to happen. Number one, there's going to be a snatching away. A snatching away. It's kind of like a father reaching out and grabbing a child and yanking them back from in front of an oncoming semi. It's like a mother grabbing her child and yanking the child back from in front of a coiled rattlesnake. The Bible says that Jesus is going to jerk his children out of this world before all hell breaks loose. So we're already here in Revelation. Uh, let's turn back to Revelation 4 verse 1. Revelation 4 verse 1. If you want to know where in the book of the Revelation do I find this snatching away, it's right here. As a matter of fact, I had one of our members reach out to me a couple of weeks ago when I was sitting at the football field and he said, hey, pastor, can, can you share with me, show me where, where the rapture is in the book of the Revelation? And I said, I believe it's found in Revelation 4, verse 1. And so if you've made your way there to Revelation 4, verse 1, say, uh-huh. 
right out there in the margin of your Bible, right up beside Revelation 4, verse 1, right out 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Just put it there in the margin of your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll come back to that in a minute. But Jesus says, or John says rather, about Christ, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here. And I will show you things which must take place after this. He says, after these things. After what things? After the church is taken out, after the age of grace comes to an end, there's going to be this voice that come up here. It's harpazo, snatching away, caught up. Now, I told you to jot down 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, Look down there in verse 13 if you've made your way over there. If not, you can follow along on the screen. But Paul says this. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed. That means to go ahead of those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so the very first thing that I believe is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes again and there is this great snatching away is that there will be a resurrection. Jot that down there somewhere. There's going to be a resurrection. The Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. It's kind of like the old gospel song used to say, there's going to be a great getting up morning. Now, There are a lot of people who misunderstand this. And there are a lot of folks who believe that when you die, that's it. Game over. Uh, Your bodies go to the grave. That's it. Are you listening to me this morning? Say we're listening. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you're saved, if you're a Christian, and you die, your spirit's going to go be with Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul says to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. The Lord Jesus said to the thief on the cross that very day that they died, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not next week, not a thousand years. Today you will be with me in paradise. So what's going to happen is they're going to take your body, they're going to put your body in a coffin, they're going to take that coffin, put it in the ground, but listen, you're just going to be there for a little while. Matter of fact, I want us to be good stewards of God's money, Right? And so if you are in your financial planning and you're going to the funeral home and and you're trying to set up things and you're doing your prepayment, all those sorts of things, what you ought to try to do is make a deal with the cemetery just to rent your plot. Because you're not going to need it forever, right? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Because the Bible says, look, the Bible teaches, Jesus plans on getting every single bit of you. When he saved you, when he bought you, he planned on getting all of you. And he doesn't plan on leaving anything behind. And just as he redeemed your spirit, one of these days he's going to reclaim your body. I heard about a a man who died. And his last name was Pease, like the garden variety. And they put this inscription on his tombstone. I'm kind of, I love tombstones. They put this inscription on the tombstone and it said this, Pea's not here, it's just the pod. Pea's shelled out and went to God. (laughs) I don't know what we could do with wit, but anyway, right? Pea's not here, it's just the pod. Pea's shelled out 
and went to God. And that's what happens when a saved man dies. His body goes back to the dust. His spirit goes back to the Lord who gave it. But there is coming a day when the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Think about it. Those who were buried at sea are going to be raised up. Those who were burned to death will be reassembled. Those who died alone in the wild places of this world and had their bodies devoured by wild animals are some way, somehow going to be brought back together there on the spot. Those who died in the desert, those who died in the frozen north, those who are in forgotten graves are going to be brought back to life at the resurrection. And Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Time out. We ought to put that verse above every crib back there in the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. It took a little bit longer on that side. <laughs> we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, how fast is that? That is the amount of time it takes light to reflect off of your eyeball. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, this fleshly body must put on incorruption, a glorified body. And this mortal, this body that can die, must put on immortality, will never die. And the Bible says that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. There's going to be a resurrection. Not only is there going to be a resurrection at the snatching away, there's going to be a rapture. And we talked about that, what's going to happen. You're going to have the dead in Christ. But what's going to happen to those of us who are still living? Because here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I still plan on being here at the rapture. Now, I may or may not be, but man, I really hope that I am. I love roller coasters. And can you imagine what kind of ride that's going to be? Amen? And so I may or may not be, but I, I really do hope that I am. First Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's that word again, caught up, harpazo, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. One minute we're going to be sitting in front of the TV. We're going to be riding along in our car, working at our desk, playing in the yard. And all of a sudden we're going to hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. We're going to hear the Lord shout, come up here. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be transformed, transferred, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There's at least one of y'all out there. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, surely you don't believe this. I mean, Pastor Brad, listen, I know you've got two earned doctrines, but surely you don't, surely you understand this is just spiritualized language. Don't you believe that this is just, just pretty poetry? Surely you don't believe this. Well, let me ask you a question. Didn't I just read there in the Bible where the Bible says that we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? Didn't, didn't I just read something very much like that? Shake your head. This means yes where I come from. Well, then I believe the Bible. Black ink on white paper. Let me tell you why I believe in the rapture. First of all, I've already told you about Harpazo, Revelation 4, verse 1. I think that is super important because when you get to Revelation 4, verse 1, again, Revelation 1, 2, and 3, you have ecclesia, ecclesia, church, 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 church of Philadelphia, church at Thyatira, the churches. 
When you come to Revelation 4, verse 1, you don't find the church anymore in the book of the Revelation. It's hagios, it's saints from that point forward. Up to Revelation 4, verse 1, the church is all over the place. After Revelation 4, verse 1, it's saints. It's saints. Why? Because the church has been taken out. The church has been raptured. Let me give you another reason why I believe it. We've already seen it before. We saw it illustrated in the life of a man by the name of Enoch. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. They're just walking along one day and all of a sudden Enoch wasn't there. He was gone, caught up, taken up to be with the Lord in the air. Here's another one. We saw it in the life of a man by the name of Elijah. The Bible says about Elijah that he, was, he went up into heaven in a whirlwind and in a chariot of fire. And then the Bible says that they looked for him and they could not find him. They looked, I looked all over the place and they could not find him. You know what? They're going to look for us too. And they're not going to be able to find us. And they're going to think, what happened to those nuts down at Abilene Baptist Church? Where, where'd they go? We can't find them. Good riddance. We're glad to get rid of them, right? And, and again, my mind just runs on this. And so I think about what it's going to be like on the front page of the New York Times or the Augusta Chronicle. And I can just see the headlines extra, extra, read all about it, millions missing around the world. And they're going to come up with all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories to explain why we're not here anymore. Some terrorist group pulled off or some sort of mass attack. The government came in the middle of the night. By the way, in Columbia County, it's this one. The government came in. The government came in and, and took everybody away to some sort of a death, sort of, sort of a secret stockade. Aliens came in and with some sort of a death rate, or Fox News did it. That's what they're going to say. Fox News did it. No. Jesus just came back and called us out. Can you imagine, again, my mind gets running. Here's a Christian pilot flying an airliner, and he gets raptured. What's going to happen to it? Out here on I-20, you got... All these Christians, well, there's not many Christians on I-20, but you got some Christians on I-20. What's going to happen when they're driving their cars and all of a sudden they're raptured out? Won't be much different. But we're going to be gone. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, caught up, snatched away, ever to be with the Lord. There's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a rapture. And then there's going to be a reunion. When I was pastoring in Ohio, we had an architect in the church who developed a super aggressive brain tumor that killed him. A few weeks after the service, his wife came to see me. She was just bawling, and she said, I'm having a hard time. I talked to one of my, my Christian friends, and they said that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to know him. I'm not going to know him. So I went and talked to some more of my Christian friends, and they said, well, even if I do know him, it's not going to be the same. And I looked at her and I said, well, praise God, it's not going to be the same because it's going to be better than you ever do before because you're going to really know him now. I said this at the funeral service on Monday, and I want you to listen to me. A lot of times we get the idea that heaven is less. It's not as real as the place we're in right now. It's some sort of ethereal, mystical, cloudy kind of existence that we're floating around on clouds. You've got angels wearing diapers, strumming, har strumming harps, and it's not real. The Bible doesn't use any of that kind of imagery. Nowhere. As a matter of fact, when John describes heaven, he describes streets of gold. We understand what that is. He describes jasper walls. He describes uh, pearly gates. He describes rivers and, and trees with fruit. 
the heaven is not going to be less. It's only and always going to be more. Heaven will be more real than anything you and I have ever experienced here. And when we get to heaven, we won't just know in part, we will know in whole. And that's what people want to know. Will we know one another? Well, they were asking that, that question in Paul's day too. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Notice what he says next word, together. Say together. Together with them in the clouds. And then he says in verse 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. How many of you all have a Christian daddy or mama or husband or wife or son or daughter who's already died and meant to be with Jesus? Can I see your hand? You've already got a loved one. That's well. Can I say something to you this morning? On that great getting up morning, you're going to meet Jesus together. Dr. Rogers and Miss Joyce had a baby that died at a very young age. I often thought, for years that he had been like about a year or so old he wasn't gail dr rogers daughter posted a picture of it yesterday of the tombstone or the the marker and by my calculations the baby is about three or three or so months old would have died from what we know today as sids they took that little baby and they put it in a little coffin they put it in a grave there in west palm beach florida and you know what they put on that little tombstone? I saw it again yesterday. The picture was just there yesterday. They put three little words on that marker for that precious baby boy. Three words. Philip, that was his name. Philip, yes, Lord. I love that. And I believe that when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to say, Kim, and she's going to say, yes, Lord. Laura Kate, yes, Lord. Jack, yes, Lord. Ben, yes, Lord. John, yes, Lord. Brad, yes, Lord. And we're going to be snatched away, caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And Paul says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. One of the things that I have noticed is that for those who are saved, for Christians, the idea of the rapture and the second coming is a comforting thought. That's what Paul says. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. For those of us who are saved, the rapture of the church and the second coming ought to comfort us. But what I've noticed is that for those who are not saved, for those who do not know Jesus, they're not a Christian, the idea of the rapture and the second coming isn't just concerning, it's confronting And I know how you feel. When I was a little boy, the Billy Graham Association put out a movie called A Thief in the Night. 
How many of y'all remember that movie? Can I see your hands? All the old folks. So the Billy Graham's movie, A Thief in the Night, would be like the movie that came out a decade or so ago, Left Behind. And I remember watching that movie as a little boy scared the daylights out of me. Now somebody says, well, preacher, I just don't think you ought to try to scare people into heaven. So what are you going to do, love them into hell? <laughs> scared the daylights out of me. I mean, it got an image in my mind that I couldn't get rid of. And when I was about 15 years old, there was a book that came out, kind of hokey now again. But the book was entitled something like 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. How many of y'all remember that book? Can I see your hands? Yeah. And my youth pastor kind of, we were getting into the fall of the year about this time of the year, and everybody was really thinking about it like we are today with all what's happening in Israel. And he preached, and I think he even showed the movie again, and it confronted me. It scared me to death. And God used that fear to break the pride of a 15-year-old boy. And I never will forget on a Wednesday night going home, walking upstairs to my bedroom, getting down beside the side of my bed and praying a prayer that I've led thousands of people in over the last nearly 30 years. And I prayed something like this. Dear God, I know that you love me and that you sent Jesus to die for me. And I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of my sin and today I invite Jesus into my heart to save me. And there's a 15-year-old boy because of the idea of the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ, I gave my heart to Jesus. And you may be here this morning with all the talk about Israel and second coming and those sorts of things and people asking those questions. You may not have been comforted over the last week. You might have been very concerned. And I would say to you this morning that if you don't know Jesus, you have every reason to be concerned. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, you've never been saved, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'll say it again, I believe that Jesus could come back at any second. I believe in what we call the imminent return of Christ, that there's nothing that would prevent him from coming back just like that. And if he were to come back and you were not to be taken, you would be left behind. People differ whether or not you could be saved after that. I'll just say this, it's going to be a whole lot easier this morning than it will be then. And so if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never been saved, could it be that God orchestrated all of what we've been going on through the last week and even this morning's message to bring you to a point where you were like I was as a 15-year-old boy, where your pride is broken and you surrender your life to Jesus?